Let's turn now to God's holy and inspired word as we read several passages from the scriptures for our message tonight. And we're going to begin in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. After that, turning to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. It will be clear to us as we read, not only, but I think in the message itself, that we're going to tie all of this together. And in between, we're going to also read just a few verses from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. But first of all, in Revelation chapter 5, congregation, if you will turn to that, and we will be reading there the first 10 verses of Revelation chapter 5. John here is recording a vision of God in heaven sitting on the throne that God gave to him as he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. God gave him these visions, and this is one of them. where he continues, uh, it started in chapter 4 already, now he continues then to write about that in chapter 5. And he writes, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, and each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed to us, us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, that made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. <clears throat> so I was reading this congregation, I realized I was using the New King James Version, so you probably saw a few differences. I happened to carry that with me with my notes, and uh, I should have taken, of course, the ESV that you use here, and I will do that for the next reading. So we will now turn to Genesis chapter 49 of Genesis for the uh, next reading in the ESV translation. <clears throat> we'll also read the, uh, the first 10 verses also of this chapter, and then we'll finally read just a, those few verses from Matthew chapter 1. Now Genesis 49 reads as follows, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers, weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. 
I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brother, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That last verse in particular I will refer to in the message, tying into the portion from Revelation chapter 5, and now just three verses, I'll read them immediately from Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus that is indicated in this chapter. We'll read the first three verses only. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Thus far the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Since I read from the New King James uh, by mistake here in Revelation, I just want to read the text as it is found in Revelation 5 for our message here this afternoon. I want you to listen here once again to verse 5 of Revelation 5. And one of the elders said to me, meaning to John, Weep no more, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy and inspired word. And dear people of God, I think you are aware that when you read the Bible, there are many different names that it records pertaining or ascribed to our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, the most uh, common name that you and I all know is, of course, the name Jesus. That was his personal name given to him at his birth or even before his birth when the angel Gabriel appeared to Joseph and Mary and instructed them that they were to call this special child to be born. They should call him by the name Jesus meaning literally Jehovah saves, Jehovah is salvation. Sometimes you simply say Savior. That was his birth name, his personal name, of course, by which he was then known by the people when he was growing up in Nazareth, by the children, the young people, the adults, and throughout his life, actually, as an adult as well. But then when he began his ministry on earth, he was also given the title of Christ, That's not a personal name. That's a title that was given to him. If you go into the Old Testament or the Hebrew name Messiah, and I think, again, you might know what it means. It means anointed one and indicates the various offices to which our Savior was anointed of being a prophet, a priest, and a king. But in addition to those names or ascriptions or titles, if you will, there are many, many other titles names, designations that are given in the scriptures of Jesus. I have a book at home called Wilmington's Bible Lists, and I think it lists 117 titles or ascriptions, designations of Jesus, such as Emmanuel, Lamb of God, Prince of Peace, Horn of Salvation, and you can think of many, many others. 
But now I want to look with you for a little while here this afternoon at another very unique title given to Christ, the title, The Lion of the Tribe of Judah. That's what he is called in our text, Revelation 5, verse 5, and it's the only place in Scripture where he is called by that title. Even though, as we will see, it's actually a title, a name, description, rooted in the Old Testament. Indeed, in one of the Old Testament messianic prophecies referring to the coming of Jesus. And really, after that striking title in our text, the line of the tribe of Judah, another title is given to him, as you heard. He's also called the Root of David, indicating he came from the line of David and came to be a king in the line of David. And after that, in Revelation 5 or 6, he's called Lamb. It's interesting that in this one chapter, Revelation 5, Christ is called both a lion and a lamb. What a contrast. Can you think of more opposite names? He's a lion and he is a lamb at the same time. Well, we're going to concentrate on our Savior as he came to be a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I'd like to note with you this afternoon three thoughts about that title. One is it speaks of Jesus' genealogy. Secondly, it speaks of his royalty. And thirdly, it speaks also of his might. <clears throat> First, let's note the genealogy of this lion. Where did he come from? And well, he's identified in our text by one of the elders who was standing around God's throne in that vision of heaven that God gave to John, starting in Revelation chapter 4. And that elder cites that name to John, the line of the tribe of Judah, because John was, was dismayed. Jo John was uh, upset when he found that no one was found in heaven or on earth who could open a scroll that John saw in the hands of God. And so John began to weep. No one could open that scroll. But then they believed that elder around God's throne, one of those elders, who, who, the elders representing the triumphant church in heaven. One of those elders says to John, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He can open the scroll and its seven seals. Later on, I will explain what that verse is really talking about. But why does the elder call Jesus because he's referring there to Jesus Christ. Why did you call him the Lion of the tribe of Judah? What does the tribe of Judah have to do with Jesus? And I think most of you here probably know that Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. His mother Mary was from the tribe of Judah. His father Joseph was from the tribe of Judah. That's why I also read a few verses for you from Genesis genealogy, Jesus genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. As it mentions Judah there, the very beginning of the genealogy virtually, uh, Matthew begins the account, the genealogy, by saying the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he mentions Abram was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. But notice, only Judah of all their brothers is mentioned here by name. However, the descent of Jesus Christ from Judah was predicted long before Matthew mentioned it. 
Indeed, the connection of our Savior to the tribe of Judah goes back all the way to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, where, which is, of course, where we find one of the earliest messianic prophecies of Scripture. Uh, that's why I read also that portion then from chapter 49 of Genesis, because I think that passage was no doubt in the mind of the elder around God's throne who told John, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. I, I'm sure you must have been thinking of that passage. Let's look a moment at, at Genesis chapter 49. <clears throat> In that chapter, Jacob was on his deathbed, and he had called all of his 12 sons to come alongside of him, stand around him. And it wasn't just to pronounce a parting blessing to them, to his sons, before he would die. In fact, in some, in some cases, he hardly even pronounced any kind of a blessing. But more importantly, as the first verse of Genesis 49 indicates, then Judah called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. So really, this chapter 49 is, is really a prophecy. A prophecy that was inspired by God because how else would Jacob know what was going to happen to his sons and to their posterity if God had not revealed that to him. And so Jacob was led by God to tell his sons what their future would be, what it would hold for them, particularly for those various tribes that would descend from them later on and become the future nation of Israel. Jacob begins with his oldest son, Reuben, the firstborn son. But even though he was the firstborn son, Reuben did not receive the blessing of the firstborn. Even though he, 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 he was the firstborn, he would never become a mighty tribe in Israel. And that the reason was indicated here, that at one point in his life, Reuben committed the gross sin of sleeping with one of Jacob's concubines, and thereby he defiled, as Jacob says, his bed, Jacob's bed. And then Jacob addresses his sons Simeon and Levi, and they received almost even more unfavorable words from their father Jacob. At one point, perhaps you remember at one point, these two brothers in their rage had murdered all the men of Shechem because they had uh, done something to their sister, his sister, their sister Dinah. And they had killed all the men of Shechem. It was a blot on Jacob's family. And so Jacob tells those sons on his deathbed, "'Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel.'" And you know that the tribe of Levi was scattered. It did not have its own particular piece of land. They, they were scattered throughout the land of Israel to have their own place where they could live. And Simeon hardly even got an inheritance. He, he was absorbed in the other tribes of Israel. But then we come to Judah, who was the fourth oldest son of Jacob. And he received an entirely different parting word or prophecy from his father. In fact, Judah received words of great blessing from Jacob. Judah would become a great tribe. It would become the strongest tribes of all in the nation of Israel. In fact, it would become the strongest tribe in Judah. All the kings of Israel would eventually come from the tribe of Judah. 
Listen again to what Jacob said to Judah, beginning at verse 8, Genesis 49. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? Notice how Judah is described here. He's described here as a lion. So powerful, so fearful, that no one dares to rouse him. And I'll come back to that idea too in a little bit. Well, we know from Old Testament history that Judah was indeed the most powerful of all the tribes of Israel. And even when the kingdom of Solomon, during the days of Solomon, split into two, into Israel in the north and Judah in the south, Judah always remained the chief tribe of the nation. <clears throat> now, it lasted the tribes of Israel as well, even though Judah too would one day be carried into captivity to Babylon. And then, on the other hand, it was able to return again, to reestablish the, new, the Jews in Judah once again after their exile. And now, you know why Judah continued to exist? For one reason, really for one basic reason. It's for the greatest blessing that God would bring about through Judah, the line of Judah. It's found in verse 10, Genesis 49, which says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now that is a messianic prophecy, my dear friends. That's a messianic prophecy. It's a reference here to the coming of Jesus Christ from the tribe of Judah. And let's just be clear for a moment that that was not because Judah was worthy of this. That Judah was indeed a tribe that was more deserving of that special privilege to have Christ, the Messiah, come from its line. Can't say this was a feather in Judah's cap here because Judas, Judah also was not in every way a very moral man, certainly not a very worthy man. He also had his skeletons in his closet. You just have to read Genesis chapter 38, which tells the ugly story of how Judah went for a prostitute who ended up being his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and then Judah tried to cover up his deed. And then the end result was that his daughter-in-law had twins by Judah, one of whom, listen, one of whom came to be the ancestor of Christ. That's amazing. And he's mentioned in the, in the genealogy that Matthew records in chapter 1 of Jesus. He says in verse 3, And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron. That means that Perez was also in the Messianic line. And why does Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, insert here that Judah fathered Perez by Tamar? For this reason, to remind us that God would send his son in a line of sinners who in themselves were not worthy, but to demonstrate thereby his marvelous grace. It wasn't that Judah or the tribe of Judah was worthy to have such a great Savior come from their line. It was only God's gracious decision to send His Son from Judah. 
And what kind of son would he be? <clears throat> what kind of son would this be? <clears throat> Let me turn secondly this afternoon to who this line of the tribe of Judah is and was by nature. You see, what that title really describes here is that he was royalty. Christ came into this world as a king. That's also what Jacob then indicated in his deathbed prophecy. He writes, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. First notice, Jacob prophesied that kings, kings would come from the tribe of Judah and reign over God's people. Persons who hold the scepter, that short stick which only kings could hold in their hands to indicate their ultimate power and authority. And those kings also would have a staff, a ruler's staff between their feet, another mark again of their kingly power. But you know, all of these kings in the line of Judah would only reign temporally until the coming of the great king, until the coming of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so Jacob says here, until tribute comes to him. Let me make a brief comment on this particular phrase, until tribute comes to him. If you have other Bible translations, or recall them from reading in the past, you may know that in the King James Version, and the New King James Version, and the American Standard, and New American Standard Versions, they say, until Shiloh comes. Until Shiloh comes. And maybe you're more familiar with that translation, that expression. Shiloh is the literal translation of the Hebrew word that Jacob uses here for until tribute comes. That would be a literal translation, at least what is thought by most scholars to be what that really means. Shiloh, of course, sounds like a proper name. But in the newer versions then, like in the ESV, they attempt to translate that word, and so they say, until tribute comes to him, that is to that ruler who holds the scepter in his hand and who has the staff with the ruler's staff between his feet. Tribute, as you know, is something that is given by subjects or lesser rulers to their sovereign kings. Now, I, I kind of still like to use that word Shiloh in this verse. It just seems to read a little better. But in any case, the, the prophecy remains the same. One day a king will come. Call him Shiloh, if you will. A king to whom all authority will belong and to whom all the peoples must render submission and obedience and tribute. And that's, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you read the Bible, you know very well that the one who came in the manger of Bethlehem was not an ordinary child. He was a king. The Old Testament repeatedly, and not only in Genesis, indicates that. Think of the prophecy, Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But, but then it says also that he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. I think of Micah 5, verse 2. We, we sang, O Little Town of Bethlehem, during the hymn sing uh, this afternoon. Micah 5, verse, based on Micah 5, verse 2, which says that out of Bethlehem, Ephrata, though it is small among the clans of Judah, 
One will come who will be the ruler over Israel. And so when Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, the wise men somehow were apprised of the fact that it was a king. A king had been born among the Jews, whom they came to visit, to whom they presented gifts and homage. You and I always have to remember during this season that we are serving a king who remains a sovereign king. If, if only our world would know that or recognize that more at Christmas time, if, if only they would get beyond that idea that we have a cute little baby lying there in a manger and realize that this was the king whom God had sent, the one who will come to rule over all the nations. As Father Jacob said to Judah, to him shall the obedience of the peoples be. And that king is reigning right now at the right hand of God. That's why we can celebrate his coming. That's what we can tell the world about him. Yes, he is the Savior indeed. He came to save his people from their sins, but he is also the one before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Therefore, they all owe their obedience to him. You know, that's the mark of a Christian. One who doesn't only say nice things about a baby in a manger, but one whose life is dedicated and submissive to that King, our Lord Jesus Christ. And people of God, may that indeed be true for all of us. Is that Shiloh, our Savior, yes, but is he also on the throne of our lives? So all of our desires, all of our ambitions, all of our activities from day to day, week to week, are devoted to Him and honor Him. Is Christ only a mere figurehead in our lives, one with some nice titles, or is He actually the one who rules, rules in our hearts alone, and rules in our lives, <clears throat> and who rules also over all the nations, <clears throat> whether they acknowledge it or not? <clears throat> we have Shiloh, on the throne. Jesus Christ, the King from the line of Judah, is now Lord over all the earth. <clears throat> that King is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Which brings me to my last and third point on this afternoon about him. <clears throat> what does that name, that title say about him? Besides that he is royalty, <clears throat> it says also that he is a mighty king, a mighty sovereign. <clears throat> yes, you know, when you hear that title in itself, <clears throat> the line of the tribe of Judah as indicated in Revelation 5, we indeed receive that notion, that idea, don't we? <clears throat> why, why, why was John weeping here in Revelation chapter 5 when he saw there was no one in heaven and on earth who could open the scroll <clears throat> at God's right hand? <clears throat> And that the one that could do so was revealed to him as being the line of the tribe of Judah. Think for a moment about, about lions. I know all of our younger people, our children here, you all know about lions. You know what they're called, right? The lion is known to be the king of the beasts. Why so? Because no other animal, at least on land, has quite the power, quite the fierceness of a lion. 
And when you see a lion open its mouth and you see its teeth, it's always kind of a scary sight, I think, at a zoo even. And if you hear that roar, what a chilling, terrifying sound it is. Well, in the Bible also, lions are regularly mentioned for their great power, as well as for their propensity to stalk and to kill their prey. And that's what dying Jacob said about Judah. In Genesis 49, verse 9, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The enemies of God's people are sometimes referred to in Scripture as uh, lions. David prayed in Psalm 7, O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. And of course, another evil person is the most terrifying of all lions, the one who is compared to a lion who is our chief, our chief adversary. And that's, of course, Satan himself. As Peter writes of him in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's the most fearsome, evil lion you and I will ever have to face. Satan, the archenemy of God, but also the archenemy of God's people who's ever ready to pounce on anyone to devour that person if he is able to. <clears throat> and now listen again then to Revelation 5, verse 5, as it says about Jesus Christ. John writes, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. That's God's message to John and to all believers. The God who is sitting on his throne in heaven assures us, I have sent to you the most powerful of all lions, and he has conquered all of your enemies, Satan, death, hell. That's why he is able to open the scroll in God's right hand. What is that scroll, by the way? What does it represent? That scroll mentioned here is a symbolical reference to God's entire plan of salvation, which God himself conceived in eternity. The plan whereby God decided to save lost sinners from their perdition, their lostness, and from the power of the evil one, and by which he decided to establish them as his kingdom. Who could accomplish that plan of salvation that God had already conceived in eternity? No one found in heaven or on earth could do so, or even look inside to that, inside that plan. That's why John was weeping, until one of the elders said to him, But, but John, there is one who can open that scroll. There is one who can accomplish, and indeed will fulfill that plan of salvation in its Finality in all of its aspects, God's plan. Who is the one that can open that seal, that scroll? The lion of the tribe of Judah. And ironically, 
Dear people of God, here's how he did it. He did it by becoming a lamb. A lamb who was slain. A lamb who by his blood has redeemed sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation. By the power of his own blood, Jesus gave us that ultimate victory of salvation. And being now exalted at the right hand of God the Father, that mighty lion who became a lamb for us, now has obtained the ultimate victory over sin, Satan, death, and hell. And he will accomplish it in all of its finality, bring it to its final climax when he comes again. He is the great conqueror. And as the book of Revelation reveals to us throughout everything that's contained in that scroll, God's salvation plan, as it is also unfolded in the book of Revelation, all of that indeed was fulfilled by him who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, let us put our wholehearted faith in him because he alone is able to give us that great victory over sin and Satan. Let's trust in him to continue to watch over us, to keep us from the might and the deceptions of the evil one as he is still roaring like a lion in our day, even though Satan's doom is already sure. Let us give our wholehearted obedience instead to the lion who now reigns. Let's rejoice that one day the lion of the tribe of Judah will come again in all of his power, in all of his glory. Then everyone will know, all creation will know he has triumphed, and every knee shall bow before him and acknowledge him as Lord. <clears throat> and that lamb who is also the lion will receive the praise of all creatures in heaven and on earth, and all will sing with the angels. All his redeemed join their voices together, singing to the lion of the tribe of Judah, you are worthy to receive all power and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, it's wonderful to be assured again as your people here this afternoon that your Son, our blessed Savior, whose birth we so rejoice in, is now the, the reigning King and in all of his might and royalty has achieved the victory of salvation. That that Lamb of God, who was the Lion of the tribe of Judah, is now our gracious Lord and King, who loves us, reigns over us, assures us of ultimate victory with him. Lord, we pray that our hearts may indeed be filled again with thankfulness that we have him with us, always to lead us, to guide us, to protect us, that we have him who is the all-conquering lion to sustain us in our continued battle against sin and Satan. In all of our life struggles, Lord, we are grateful to know that we have our Savior with us, the one who reigns. And so receive our thanks and our praise. May we once again go to our homes today, 
looking forward to the Christmas day tomorrow, thankful that you've given us this wonderful revelation in your word, that he is the one who has indeed opened the scroll and accomplished the plan of your salvation also for us. In the blessed name of that Savior do we pray. Amen.